See, this isn't the first time Gordon and I have done this. I have to tell everybody, <laughs> look, we just got through speaking for about an hour, almost an hour on this podcast, and I forgot to add this, and it was so good. You'll see, you're going to find out from this one how good it was. This is a fantastic podcast. By far one of my favorite. This is fantastic. We, well, we're just starting to say You're very time. generous. No, I mean, I really I enjoy actually, what you're I saying. actually asked my wife, I said, am I an interesting enough guy to be on a podcast, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be with Lance Lee. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and we, have so, we, we cross so many different areas. When you're talking about that, trying to bring over hammer strength. Was it, that wasn't just ham, it was hammer strength you were trying to bring well, over? Well, I, I really should preface that. Okay. Um, in the early days, you know, we had nothing but energy and, and you know, the power of attraction, the positive thinking. Uh, we were doing everything we could to network, but we had no credibility. We didn't have a lot of cash. So what I did was I, I couldn't afford to bring over, say, an American football coach from the NFL or a player, but I could bring over a trainer. And we brought um, Jim Whitesell, who had been the NFL's Trainer of the Year. Okay. Uh, he was a lovely man from the Seattle Seahawks, really a good guy. And I, I sent him a letter asking if he'd be interested, and he gave us some very fair pricing and de demands. And what we did was uh, uh, presentations with him at the different military bases, uh, at Japanese hospitals, for the American Football Association and it got us into magazines, into medical journals, and, uh, and, and it gave us some credibility. Now, who was this? Who were you talking about? Who, you had a group of people you were working with? Well, when I, I, I've always um, been somewhat of a lone wolf, but so I used say, the word we, we because so it, it makes you bigger. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we well, as in, I'm sitting calling him right <laughs> I, my, my wife, who, you know, when I was dating her, uh, you know, the first time I brought her to, to my home, uh, she goes, is this where we live? So I guess it's a bit of a habit of mine. <laughs> when I first came to Japan, I remember my wife, she wasn't my wife, then my girlfriend. Everything she said was, I said, well, how do you feel about this? She said, wari wari on e honto ski. I said, what's wari wari? She said, we. I'm asking you, how do you feel? But the Japanese really meant that. We. They're taught that. Absolutely. And they don't say wari wari anymore, but they taught that through elementary through. They have that feeling. You're not Japanese. But now everyone's being thrown into the bunch. You know, all these children they call half oh. and stuff. And they have them in the Olympics and everything else. So they're taking credit for that. They want that. It's really interesting how Japan is turning out to be. Where were you born? I was uh, born in Winnipeg, Canada. Okay. Which on any given day in the winter, especially, can be the coldest place in the world because there's nothing stopping the wind coming from the North Pole. That's right. Uh, it's. Uh, and you said the one. Didn't you say in the summertime the mosquitoes are big enough to carry away little babies? It's, no. it's really something else. Uh, when 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 the sun starts going down, the mosquitoes start coming up. And uh, it's actually almost frightening. But was, it, but was it really hard for you? Did they, would you really see them? I mean, when they got on you, they really would oh, torture you. Oh, they're nasty. <laughs> they really are. Really? Absolutely. Because Puerto Rico, they were pretty big, too. We used to be able to stop them, you know, just hold them down like that. Because, and they would just keep on sucking blood, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. crazy. yeah. And the horse flies, but uh, wonderful yeah. What people. do the horse flies do? They bite you, right? They do. They do. I've been by, I was bitten by one at a zoo once, and I could swear that was a... Most painful bite I've ever had. Oh, they're awful. Yeah. Why do yeah. they bite you? What are they trying to do? 
I don't know the science behind it, but I'm sure it has something to do and with huge. gathering protein or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I want the human protein this time. Exactly. Change it up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So when you grew up, I know all this, but I'm doing this for the audience so you can know, because I know everything there is to know about Gordon now. We spoke for an hour <laughs> yeah. prior to this. You, you said you're the oldest of four. I am, yes. You have a younger brother, and then you have two younger sisters. I do. Um, the youngest sister lives in Africa. Okay. Uh, she's uh, married to a gentleman, uh, Andrew Bowler, who uh, is in the tobacco and uh, adult beverage industry as um, breweries around Africa. It's done very well. And, and Karen is uh, doing uh, in South Africa and uh, a few other countries in Africa. She has a clothing line of her own as well. Is that and right? My goodness. Yeah, Are you close? Busy. You guys close? Do you talk all We there? all the time. Yeah. Okay, what about your next sister? Uh, going from the bottom well, up. Kathy um, is only uh, three years younger than me, and right. she's a Highland dancing instructor and judge. So she's got her own little business out of Edmonton, Canada, and travels. Is it Highland? Highland dancing. You know, the, really Highland, really the Highland fling, the sword dance. Really, really? Yeah, absolutely. Both my sisters Highland danced. Uh, Karen was actually really good. She was a BC <laughs> champ. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, do they, now this part I didn't know. This is new. Did they? Do they both have kids? Both of them have children? Uh, they do. Um, my, my sister has a son and a daughter. Which uh, sister is this? The youngest? Karen. Karen. Okay, Karen. Uh, the youngest. Yes. And uh, her son's living in Australia. He's, I think, working there as a consultant. And mm. the daughter's working with Karen running right. her business. Yes. Right. And then your next, your next sister? Yeah, she has uh, uh, three children. Um, oh. One, one you, you'll get a kick out of this, is a mixed martial arts fighter. Travels so to Thailand often for training and things. Yeah, wow. yeah, th uh, and uh, the other two are doing just fine. Have they? Have you've met all of them? Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. And your brother? Uh, he uh, is a, a very serious commercial scuba diving instructor. You know, does the oxygen helium mixes and those kind of things. And he's lived all over the world. He's uh, lived in Nicaragua and. Uh, Africa, okay. Thailand. And he's married? He is. He's he has well, kids? Uh, yes, he does. He has a daughter who lives in Victoria, Canada. Okay, okay. Yes. Now you said, you mentioned before that you have one older son too. You have, you I have do. Son? I have an older son. He's 27 and okay. he's uh, uh, working for Cisco as a cloud uh, computing engineer. You know, Cisco was into medical equipment too when I was doing CT scanners. They were. They had a warehouse here and I'm pretty sure there's only one Cisco and this had to be the Cisco. I'm talking about because when I was in Chicago too, they had an office there. Because outside of one of my hotel rooms there, I saw their big sign. They're really big in the 80s. They were really pushing out a lot. But they had a, they took me to their warehouse here, and it's close by the Daimcho in Akasaka, around, around that area yes. anyway. They took their, they had scanners in there and everything. Computer systems, used scanners. Interesting. I was really surprised, and I was hoping to get a, you know, get a hold of all that, but that didn't happen. Wow. So, and your mother and father, you said they're no longer here. Unfortunately, no, they're right. fast. Yeah. But your father, the interesting thing is you said your father started off as an insurance salesman, then he went back to college, and he got his law degree. He did. What type of law did he study? He, he was did he practice, I mean? He, he was doing family law. Okay. So, but he stayed with your mother. No, he didn't stay. They no, didn't stay married the whole didn't. time. No, my, my mother um, stayed in Victoria, and he went back to uh, Winnipeg, where he okay. got his law degree and then remarried. 
Okay. Yeah. Did he have other kids too? He did not. Okay. No. So you're the only children, the four that you had. I think they thought that was enough. Yeah. Okay, that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both deceased. How old was your father when he passed? He was uh, 82, and my mother was 83. Okay, that's why you got to 80. Because earlier we were talking, Gordon and I were talking, and he said, "I'd get a kick out of who your 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 great uncle, your uncle." Because he's really up there, he's 80 years old. And I said, wait just a minute. <laughs> 80 years old, like that's really old. In 10 more years, I should be there if I'm lucky enough. Well, he's, uh, <laughs> we're talking about uh, my Uncle Richard, who has incredible right. influence on my life. I met him in 1978. Well, I knew him before that, but I met him at the airport in Vancouver in 1978. He wow. was uh, coming back from Japan and on his way to Ottawa because he was working with the Canadian government at the time as um, uh, basic, basically as a consultant to the Prime Minister. He had a doctorate in nuclear physics out of Princeton. He was a very bright guy, very well-rounded. Wow. He had worked at the embassy in Tokyo. This is your father's brother? Uh, you know, if, if we're going to really be technical, yeah, let's, let's be he's, techni my, he's my father's cousin. But we've okay, always call called him, him uncle, uncle because he's been a that. godfather I and hear. things like that. Okay. And, and uh, his name's Richard Bauer. Okay. You know, uh, just and he's still kicking and doing oh, well. Yeah. Oh, he's still doing projects. He's still selling solar he panels. He should be. He's only world. eighty. What two? She. <laughs> not an old man. Making you sound like here. Here's your nephew making you sound like you're about to pass. And kick the bucket already. But in 1978, he told me uh, Japan short run, China long run. And that's where you got your interest in, in in Asian studies. Well, plus UBC had a really good Asian studies program. Okay. You know, and he's, he told you to go to UBC, too. He, well, Did I was he? already there on a okay, football okay. scholarship. And oh, okay. Yeah, I was playing outside linebacker for the Thunderbirds, and uh, they had, in, fortunately, I was starting uh, in my freshman season, and we went to the Canadian Championship. That was game. the first time for them, right? First time UBC had ever been there. They've been there a few times and won it since. And but you look at the program now, it's so much more professional. There's yeah. so much more money there. But, there, but not just that. There's so much... There's easier access to information. That's true. Before, it cost you. You'd have to get go to colleges to get certain information, and That's if you couldn't afford it, your budget determined how much information you can get. Today, our generation, but I'm assuming you're a little bit younger than me. I'm, I'm 63. Yeah, you're a little bit yeah. younger. You're seven years younger than me. I don't look younger. Yeah, no, than don't that's say just, no, it's unfortunate. This is because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the way things are going now, because the younger people think the technology that's made is made for them, actually it's made for us, because it was our generation that made it. Think about this. You can give children in their 20s and 30s the same information that we have, access to the same tools. They don't know the questions to ask. Good we do. We remember encyclopedias and searching for the information. They don't. The sources. The sources, looking for a different way to say Absolutely. things. They don't. And I'm starting to see that difference. We can tap into this resource that we have that we help develop much easier than they can because they're not being taught in school what to ask. How to think. think about it. That's the whole thing. My gymnastics program, I used to tell all the kids that they're being taught an I can attitude. Now we've changed it. If you ask these little kids, that are four or five, up to age 10, what I'm teaching, they'll say, a way to think. Because that's what I'm teaching them. Good a new you. way to think.
Well, a lot of people don't that that know you from recent years don't realize that you've been an instructor in gymnastics from <laughs> from the time you almost got off the plane in Japan. I've been doing that over through, and and I love it so much that I've the time that I did stop doing it during the scanner business for about a six-year period. I really didn't have time or didn't want to take time because the money felt so good. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> the money. Well, also you work you work so hard. You That's work true. you work so hard That's to true. finally get that ship moving. Don't you? Yeah. You know all the energy you put into it. Do you really want to step back when you start actually seeing the results? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's and you know we were talking earlier. Um, you know you were somewhat shocked that uh, uh, I was prior to my marriage to Mako. I was married to a Scottish Canadian lady, and uh, uh, I had one year left in my contract, and my son uh, was uh, suffering from asthma, so they went back to Canada. Yeah, this is the wrong place to be if you have asthma. Well, yeah. It was Especially at that time. It, yeah, it was a lot worse then. It was so bad then, right? Yeah. And, well, and we realized every time we went back to Canada on vacation, he was fine. So okay. we, you know, we made a choice for his health, but I had one year left in my contract. So, uh, and the company that I had essentially, uh, I, well, let, let, let me say, I introduced a product for Parker Medical a small little company out of Charlotte, North Carolina called Orthoglass. Okay. And it was a, a fiberglass splinting system covered in polypropylene that came out of a box that cut exactly what you needed. And in those days, everybody was using POP. You know, it was dirty, it made a mess. It That's the break. regular cast we're used to. Exactly. That they had to have big shears to kind of take it off with. Well, exactly, and even, even the splints. They right. would make with that, and right. you know, it took time. It was heavy. It was hot. It was uncomfortable, and this became like the number one emergency room product. Aren't they still doing the that? World. Oh yeah, the Orthoglass is still, uh, like, I think, has about fifty percent market share. But we had about eighty percent market share in Japan at one time after my introduction. With so that where, where is it now? Probably about fifty. But but there's been a number of corporate changes, and that's. That's, That's what makes my, a difference. You know, and, and going back to the story is that uh, I introduced this product to a distributor here and worked with them, and then the little company Parker Medical got bought by Smith & Nephew. Okay. And then Smith & Nephew, a few years later, diverted and, and uh, sold off to, uh, well, created a joint venture called Biostore, Smith & Nephew, Biostore was a Nivea cream. Okay. And then they sold off to two private equities after that. And believe it or not, that was about a 20-year period, and they kept me around as a consultant for that 20 years. But every time that contract came around, I thought it was gone. And that's why my family was back in Canada while I was here what, doing what the Japanese call a tanshin funi. That's right. And that's not good for a marriage. Yeah. So. Sure. I wasn't going to talk about that. But, but you decided to. <laughs> why not? <Right. laughs> Yeah. So you go through you go through high school, you go through college, you come out with a bachelor's degree in what? Um, Asian studies. Asian studies. Or Asian studies. And then w when was your first time in Japan? Uh, first time was uh, right after university in '82. Went lived in Kobe and was doing Shotokan karate. Louis, that's what brought you here? Well, actually, uh, I did that's karate with a club. Okay. I did karate with a club at UBC just with the idea that I could meet people. And uh, I have to say that martial arts is an incredible tool 
uh, as a, a learning tool on how to adapt to Japanese culture, especially back then. You know, by, by showing respect, uh, you know, by being humble, keeping your mouth shut at the right times, uh, essentially not being a North American, you know, and uh, it, even to this day, I think it, it's been very helpful. You still do martial arts? I do not. The smart man. I, it's crippling. If you do, if, unless you know how to do it right, I think you need to apply yoga with it. Because look at what happens to the guys. Your body can only take so much abuse. And the training that we had to go through then, the duck squats alone. But I would say, though, that also, too, just uh, finishing, it's like finishing two-a-days uh, when you're playing American football or, or, or fini fini fish finishing a karate gashku. You know, just getting that behind you gives you the ability to, you know, fail in business and then not quit. That's right. You know, or, or go and do a, a very important presentation and be rejected and say, okay, I'll do another one somewhere else. You know, I'll, I'll just keep going until we f find a way to be successful. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. I think that's something that boys had been taught in the past. All, all, you know, they learned it, suck it up, don't cry, keep on going. And we weren't doing that with our counterparts, our female counterparts. We were saying, go into the, the, the bakery shop or go into the kitchen and cook something and <laughs> take out your frustration some other way, but you're not going to you know, keep on going. Your success is keeping me successful. Sure. I mean, at, at UBC football, I'll never forget uh, my uh, freshman season uh, being circled before we went out for the first practice of two days, and the coach essentially said, okay, we need to win six games. That'll get us into the playoffs. The playoffs will be at home. We'll win those. This year, the uh, intercontinental playoff game is played in Vancouver. That gives us a big edge. And then we'll go to the College Bowl. And guess what? We did. Exactly the way he said it. Exactly. Because every time you're playing, you're thinking, we got all you do is win six. Let's give this one a go. And you guys are going, how many games did you have? Uh, well, we had eight regular season games. Oh, so you had, you had, if you miss more than two, you're done. Well, that's essentially, and that, that year we played a non-conference game against the University of Puget Sound American School and beat them. And uh, we played uh, the Crosstown rival Simon Fraser and beat them for the very first time. Okay. So it was really a great season. It was, you know, we lost the, the Canadian Championship game, unfortunately. And it's kind of weird because that'll pop up on uh, Instagram and YouTube now, and I'm going, looking what? at this 18-year-old kid wearing number 59. Going, that was you? Yeah, I was going, and I'm kind of saying, could you gotten to the ball quicker? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you come here in 82 was your first time. That's right, and I lived in Kobe okay. and did uh, Shotokan Karate there, and uh, how old were you at that time? 20? 22. 22, okay. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, spent a year in Kobe and Tokyo, um, and then went back, and uh, things weren't all that great in Canada uh, economically. And uh, things were booming in Tokyo, so I got back here in 85, and uh, it was a time when you could teach English at night to finance your business and then right, do all right. the things you could during the day to kind of get that business going. I mean, where else in the world could you earn a, uh, earn a living and still run, run a business? You know, it was, it was a wonderful time. So what did you do? What did what, you do then? You taught English in the evening, and then what was your business? Well, my, my first projects were things, uh, 
most interesting one was a, a knee brace. You've heard of Donjoy knee braces. Mm -hmm. Their number one competitor in those days was Omni okay. knee brace out of uh, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And did, did I mention uh, that I brought the athletic trainers over to Japan? No. Um, I think you started to, but you didn't. Okay. Um, I thought in order to promote this knee brace, if I could get some association with the NFL, uh, and I couldn't afford to bring a player or a coach, so I contacted the trainer of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Jim Whitesell. He was a lovely person. He was NHL, NFL uh, Coach of the Year at the time, or Trainer of the Year, I'm sorry, Medical Trainer of the Year. And he came and we spent two weeks visiting hospitals and uh, doing presentations for the Football Association, the Rugby Association. and and essentially gave out a lot of business cards, did a lot of demonstrations of the Omni knee brace, and uh, got on the map. Now, there is also a spin-off effect. Uh, Jim Whitesell heard about ham restraints because they had contacted him for his gym. That's a plate-loaded weight training equipment, um, and uh, it's an interesting company. It was owned by Peter Brown, who owns the Bengals. Uh, was run by uh, Kim Wood, who was the Bengal strength coach, and all the equipment was designed by Gary Jones on his Hewlett Packard computer, and then the computer design for weight training equipment, which was oh, yeah. way ahead of their time. Terms, right. And Gary Jones had a pedigree. Arthur Jones was the guy that invented Nautilus. Okay. So it was a very interesting <laughs> group of people. Well, Jim Whitesell called him up and said, you want to go to Japan? Call Gord Campbell. And they said, Gord Campbell. Okay, and they called me said, well, fly out to Cincinnati and let's talk. And we uh, got the right to sell, but they wouldn't give us a contract. What do you mean, the con what do you mean they wouldn't give you a contract? Uh, they they wouldn't give you exclusivity, you mean? Well, they what? gave us exclusivity with the handshake. Oh, that's, yeah. So, so, you couldn't, so you mean you really couldn't get a contract? You couldn't get anything solid for that? Yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't work with anybody else. And, but they that said was they the, wouldn't. The, and that's the way they were doing their their West Coast regional distributor, their East Coast distributor, no one had a contract. And then um, when they sold the Life Fitness, everybody uh, ended up in a bit of a tough position. Because, you know, they'd put, some people had really put the, all their eggs in that basket. Which is why I, I wouldn't do that. Right. You know, I, I had seen a lot of mergers and acquisitions. That so you knew, me. you mean you knew ahead of time when they did that that you said, okay, I'm gonna Well, I thought, treat I them thought okay, we'll, we'll show them, which we did. You know, um, uh, your good friend Chuck Wilson right. was an advisor to us, uh, right. uh, and uh, a, a gentleman named Hiritoshi Matsuda uh, was my business partner at the time, and uh, we we got equipment into a lot of gyms, into uh, corporations. Cause that was a boom. That was the fitness it boom. It was. It was. I I'd originally brought American football equipment to Japan. It, uh, it was called All American. I remember that. Yeah. All-American. Yeah. That was you. You brought that here. I brought All-American football to Japan. Um, you know, we, we actually, with the same partner, Hiditoshi Matsuda, we, we were doing well with direct did you sales. Have ex did you have exclusivity for that? We did have a contract, but they sold to Riddell, and uh, they cut all their dealers. Okay. And as you know, um, if you're going to get into uh, court, you better have some very deep pockets. You better, because they can just run it and run it and run it, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we had learned, you know, that um, during this age of merger and acquisition that we, 
had started and created things, and they were very interesting things, but we hadn't made a lot of money. And then finally this product Orthoglass came out right. and uh, somewhat hit a home run with it. Did you? Well, we, we went into uh, our distributor, Nippon Sigmax, and uh, was talking with Mr. Arahata, who was their vice president, and said, okay, we expect purchases. You know, their sales would be probably three times whatever they purchase uh, of about 400,000 the first year. He said, that's impossible. And he was right. They only did about 300,000. <laughs> But the next year they bought a million dollars from us and within three years we're buying six million dollars from us and so that that was very gratifying. Now this time the us is the partner, you have a partner. That time it was just me. It's just you? That okay. was just me. So what was, the, what was the Japanese partner you're talking about? Well the Japanese partner, um, I had uh, signed off okay. uh, basically my, my interest in things like uh, All-American, well, All-American, that that it got swept out from under us anyway when they mm. went with Riddell. Yeah. But uh, when when uh, the Hammer Strains people um, wouldn't sign the contract, I pulled out. Okay. And then, fortunately, he built up a very nice business and was left basically holding the bag, so to speak, when Life Fitness bought Hammer Strain. Yeah, unfortunately. but. Do you still have contact with him? You ever see him? I see him every once in okay, a while. Okay, so yeah. he's not—he's doing okay still. Well, he, he uh, owned a number of uh, fitness clubs. Oh, so it didn't matter. He was going to do okay anyway. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, okay. people like that. Right, right, right. He knows once you learn how to do it, you can do it. Yeah. Absolutely. And he has a track record too, so you can't control everything. You can't control those buyouts, but that's good. So then you did with this new material that you have that makes casts, which is 50% still in Japan now, you think? Yeah, they still have probably about 50% market share. Uh. For a while, they were about 90. But they can use it for other things, too. What else can it be used for? Because you're not just for braces on human bodies. They, they tried to do stuff like uh, soccer shin pads and okay. things, but it was... Um, Does it shatter easy? Or something? Oh, no, no. It's, okay. it, it would be perfect, but you'd have to have someone that somewhat knew what they were doing and they got too expensive. Oh, okay, okay. Now, I'm sh you know, but uh, as, as a, a splinting product, there was nothing better still. I mean, there's lots of copies out there right, and things right. now, but... If you want to get a hold of it, how do you get a hold of it? Do you have to go through a hospital or somebody that's You would. You would. It's hard to get the material to sell. Yeah, because it's a medical product, registered right. medical but product. It's not, but it's not evasive. It's just, it's external. That's true. Because um, the, the well, ones that are, have a problem. You know where you can get it? You can get it through the sports medical sites. Oh, you can? Yeah, because Online. they're using it um, as an emergency, you know, on the Brace field. Brace or something, yes. Because I could see, I could think of that being used for so many things. And see, I'm a bike rider too. So I mean, I would carry some with me if I had it. Some with me on my long trips, because something can happen, and I just might need to splint. Especially when you're with a group. That's right. You could just need a splint. Yeah, and they actually had pre-cuts. Oh, that, really? That Certain you, sizes that right? you could easily use as an emergency. Yeah. And all you need some gauze after that. Some gauze. Well, and just some an bandage. elastic bandage. Elastic bandage. Yeah, yeah. And you're good. Soaking water. That's right. Wrap elastic bandage and just mold it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I spent years, I, I wish, uh, I look back now and I wish that we had the uh, Facebook or Instagram oh, uh, because I had gone, I, I must have visited uh, orthopedic hospitals, I would say 80% of all the orthopedic hospitals in Japan. Yeah. And that, I mean, I could have written a book about Japanese hospitals. <laughs> Speaking of books. Oh my goodness. Wait just a minute. <laughs> I was given a gift. 
<laughs> the Courier, look at this. This is your first book? It is my first novel, and it, it is a series oh. uh, featuring, featuring the protagonist, Greg Westwood. Okay. And he's the protagonist. Was he, it looks like he has his machine gun. It looks like an M16. Not an M16. It's a shoulder head. What is it? I think it, it, it might be an AK. AK? Okay, yeah. That's what it looks like. And this great big fuel truck that's blowing up. So it's a mystery. Uh, it's, it's a, a thriller novel. A thriller novel? Um, okay. uh, it essentially starts off oh. at Yokota Air Base. Uh, my, my stomping grounds. Absolutely. Um, a gentleman walks into the officer's club, okay. orders a beer, and thinks he's talking to a couple of, um, uh, let, let's say, uh, bureaucrats. Okay. They turn out to be intelligence guys. U.S. intelligence? Yes. Okay. Well, there's that Yakota officer's okay, club. Okay. Yeah, so American intelligence officers. And they decide, well, this guy's Canadian. He's a businessman. He's totally under the radar. Let's send him to Bangkok as a courier with some sensitive stuff, you know. And it goes really bad from there. Oh, <laughs> this is neat. What made you decide to start? What made you decide to write this? Have you always wanted to write a novel? I have. I, I've always enjoyed writing. I've, I've been a blogger. Okay. Uh, recently um, rekindled my blogging on Medium, and that's been fun because the feedback's almost instant there. And I'm working on the second novel now. This one finishes in Alaska, and I pick up where it finishes. Now, when did, when did you write this? When did it come that out? It came out three years ago. Three years ago, okay. And uh, the reviews are still strong. I mean, I'm very gratified. They're over four. Uh, okay. You can get it on Amazon. It's uh, available on Audible, too, that's if you like listening to novels. I sure will. I sure will. Because another, Mark Weeks, also had a book. It's, it's called Bottle Lightning, and I think it's turned it's turning into a movie now. Wow, well, he's, he's on, had he's, serious he's best, success. His was a bestseller, Mark Weeks, and I had him on the podcast. He was oh, great. So I'm not worth the crumbs from no, his table, man. I have a couple of people that are that are writing novels now. No, it's the way to go. And like I said, we're of the age that we can put it all together now, and it takes time. It really takes time, but I think this is the beautiful thing you're doing. That's beautiful to have well, it's, that. It's been, it's been an, a real journey, learning how to self-publish, how to, how to hire people to do a cover, how to hire editors. That's right. And, you know, the editor I hired pushed it back at me three times. You know, I thought it was just a... He said oh, this uh, night, he said no way. Well, well, he told me where to make the changes. Okay. And I did, and I sent it back to him. He goes, you know, it's okay, but... You know, this is your, you only get one chance at a first novel. <laughs> so he said, uh, you really need to improve this. And he goes, one, one of the most important things is characters cannot change halfway through the book. They have to remain consistent, but people remain consistent, right? That's and true. he's going, this guy, stand, you know, starting off, really stand up, a good guy, intelligent, and now you've got him acting like an idiot. What's going on? You've got to change that. <laughs> So we did, I mean, and I rewrote it three times for him, and then you have to get a copy editor involved so that there are no mistakes at all grammatically. Uh, so it's an investment, but uh, I'm glad I did it. That's beautiful, that's mm. beautiful. Looking forward to, I'm looking forward to hearing this one on Audible. I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna listen to it, and I'll tell you what I think about it, but it doesn't Thank matter, because you. you get good reviews anyway. But well, I wanna put mine up beside it. Please, please, on, yeah. on, it's interesting, Kevin Stilwell is, is a uh, professional actor that read the book. Okay. And um, it's a shame there's been, um, on, on Audible, it hasn't been as well read. Your second book's going to be coming out soon. When do you think it's going to be finished? Uh, near the end of this year. Okay. All right. Do you have the title already? 
I don't. Not okay. yet. All right. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Then I get to have you on again, too. We're going to talk about that, your second book. I, I would be very that. gratified. Thank that'd you. That'd be good. Let's kick it off here. That'd be great. Let's do that. Why don't we do that? Yeah, we, that'd be great. When you get your book, let's kick it off here. That'd make me feel so happy. I would, <laughs> I would be very excited to do okay, that. Okay, good, 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 good. And remind me, because we're going to do this. I will, 100%. You've come to Japan. You, you have your new wife. You got married. You have a daughter now? Yes. Um, well, my, my daughter is a student at Temple University. And, and she also works here She's the American Club. She's the first part-timer they've ever hired. Is that right? Yeah, I, I did not realize that, but for at least for the concierge, for the customer service, okay. she's the only part-timer they have. Uh. And, uh, you know, uh, she came with the package. Okay. Uh, I, you know, when I met Mako, she made it very clear uh, from the beginning that, uh, you know, she was a single mom and that if anything was going to happen, uh, that, you know, her daughter no. had to be considered. And I'm so glad that she's been a big part Isn't of my life. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. As I was saying, Rodney McAvoy also did a documentary, and he's going to be doing a talk here on single moms. And he married a single mom. I bet it'll be good. It will be good. I'm sure it will be. He's and I'm sure guy. he'll bring up the fact that that's a demographic in Japan that um, basically a lot of them are in poverty. That's what he talks about. You have to see, listen to the podcast. Oh, I look forward to it. He says, overlooked, and he said, poverty in Japan? Who would believe that? He said, you could be sitting next to a guy, a kid with a sweater on, nice-looking carnigan, you could think it's nice, but this kid may not have eaten in two days. It's terrible. Um, over at the orphanages... And I mentioned that, uh, you know, we every year um, do a Christmas dinner and mm -hmm. bring Santa Claus presents and do performances at two different orphanages. Uh, my lodge does. There's a lot of people in Japan that help out the orphanages. But what you'll find, you know, not all these children are, are parentless. That's some, true. Some are, are children of single mothers that couldn't afford to feed them. And they, have to, they come there and visit them all the time. Yeah. But they're there. And... There's a large number of Filipino women that come as well. It depends on which orphanage you go to. But the Japanese, of course, would be the majority. Michael also has an organization called You, Me, We. Yes. And he said, surprisingly enough, he got the name from Muhammad Ali. Yeah, not directly, but something Muhammad Ali said. So he's doing great things with orphanages, and he's, that's a passion of his. It's really good. Well, you know, when you're looking at charity, Sometimes uh, you, you can become a little jaded because you don't know where the money's going. But when you're working with someone like Michael, Michael, yes. uh, you yeah. know, you give him a computer, it gets in the hands of a kid that really needs it. Gordon, this has been a pleasure. I want to ask this question. I ask this at the end of all my podcasts of my guests. If you could magically go back in time with all the knowledge you have now and talk to the younger Gordon, what advice would you give him, and how old would he be? I, I've actually thought of this a few times, and uh, I, I would go back, and I don't think I'd give him advice that would change the course of my life as much as I would just say, you can always be kinder. You know, you can always treat people better. And if you do that, you'll be much happier with yourself. Oh, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you yeah. so much, Glenn. Really a pleasure. Same here. That's fantastic. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe.
<laughs> and never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.